Every hour we need our Lord, right? Every day, every hour we need our Lord because our life is one big stewardship. You know, when you're, perhaps I'm, my thinking isn't right on this, but, you know, when you're younger, you tend to have a lot of fun, you know, think little of, of, of things, and then the older you get, and then perhaps the Lord has saved you, called you under the banner of the cross, and you're learning a lot of new things, your mind and your thinking is changing, your behavior is changing, and then you begin to realize more and more that your life is one big stewardship the older that you get. You look back at your life and you, and you see how the Lord providentially was weaving a tapestry of grace for His glory. And at the end of the day, we will all stand before the Lord to give an account of the stewardship to which He's called us to, to live and to steward in faithfulness. You know, the Scripture says it's necessary of stewards that they be found faithful. And that is a reference to all believers in Jesus Christ, whether you're young, whether you're a teenager, or whether you're or old, 80s, 90s, however it is the Lord allows you to live, all of us will give an account to our Lord. And those songs are so reflective of, of, of a stewardship. Everything. Everything we do. All of it. And so I do trust that you and hope that you've been encouraged by our stewardship of hope here at, at Faith, the series that we're going through right now. Um, because it is a stewardship of, of hope. The Lord has created a good work for every believer in Jesus Christ. We understand the four factors of stewardship. This is repetitive year by year that God owns everything and you own nothing. The very fact that I'm able to speak and to communicate to you is that God has given me the ability to do so. God owns everything. You own nothing. He owns my speech. He owns every part of my life. God entrusts you with everything that you have. We're going to be getting together this week for Thanksgiving. We're going to be primarily get together with friends, uh, family, uh, cousins, aunts, uncles. He entrusted you with the family that you have. He's given you the abilities to bring home food for your family and to, to, to enjoy that time together in fellowship. And the scripture does say, and everything give thanks for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. That's a stewardship. That's a stewardship. You know, you can either increase or diminish what you have given, you've been given by God, and he wants you to increase it. He wants you to excel still more in your faith, which is once and for all delivered to the saints. That's what he wants. That's what he desires. And God can call you into account at any time. It may be today. It very well could happen today. The Lord could call us home at any point in time. You know, there's an old Puritan author, Thomas Watson, and he said that a man cannot live without prayer. Prayer is a, is a stewardship. A man cannot live unless he takes his breath, nor can the soul unless it breathes forth its desire to God, end quote. And no sooner than Paul was converted on the Damascus Road that we find him in a house soon after, guess what he's doing? He's praying. And he was a man of prayer during seasons of plenty and during seasons of 
of little. And so it just seems fitting for the believer in Christ to, to pray, wouldn't you say? It seems fitting to not neglect that great hour of prayer as one hymn sings it so. Milton Vincent said that we were chosen for prayer. He says, quote, when God chose me in Christ before the foundation of the world, he didn't merely choose me to be holy and blameless. He chose me also to be before him in love. He says, prayer is not simply something that I am allowed to do as a Christian. Prayer is actually one of the great purposes for which God chose to save me. I was saved to pray. And whenever I come into God's presence to behold him, worship him, or make requests of him, I am arriving at the pinnacle of God's saving purposes for me. Stewardship of prayer. And that was Paul's life. And in this particular season of his life, we find the apostle writing a letter to the Colossian church from prison. So at least now we know the setting. He's in prison. You know, I think if you were in prison, you'd you'd pray a little bit more, wouldn't you? (laughs) Certain circumstances in our life causes us to pray even more, but I would hope to God that it would be perennial in seasons of plenty and in seasons of little. So we know the setting. There are four letters from which he wrote in prison. Paul's letter to the Ephesians, Paul's letter to the Philippians, Paul's letter to a man named Philemon, and then his letter to the Colossians. And what's so amazing to see is how the Lord is using Paul's own circumstance in prison to bring about a glorious outcome, to bring about a glorious change. We have the writing of this letter, Colossians. The writing of this letter the inspired letter that we're going to be looking at today. And it all came about through what? Prayer. Stewardship of prayer. And so I say that we may never know the outcome of how the Lord may respond to our prayers or or the providential circumstances to which we find ourselves in in result to our prayers, but we can trust and believe that he is with us, whether in seasons of Plenty or in seasons of little. And now what's, what's Paul doing? He's, he's writing to a church that he did not plant. What is he doing? The church was planted by a man named Epaphras. This, would, this man would visit Paul while he was in prison and would fill him in on what is going on with the church plant. He would fill him in on what is going on with the church at Colossae. Epaphras would ultimately be the one to bring Paul's letter to the church after Paul was finished writing this letter for the edification and building up of the, of the church. I mean, there was a number of reasons why he was writing this letter. There was a number of heresies that were swirling about in the culture, in the churches, regarding the person of Jesus Christ. And so Paul addressed them in four chapters. And so now if we're If I were to summarize how he addressed those issues, it would go something like this. You have Christ is sufficient in terms of doctrine. The person of Christ is sufficient in who he is in terms of doctrine. You would see that in chapters 1 and chapter 2. 
But not only is Christ sufficient in terms of doctrine, in terms of who he is, he's sufficient and also for following, and also for following in the practical matters of life. The day and day and the by and by, that would be chapters 3 and 4. In chapter 1, Paul talks about the, his, about the Colossians' faith in the preeminent Christ, to which the apostle is very thankful for. In chapter 2, he then addresses the church not to be um, captive by the ideologies of the day or the philosophies of the day, as my professor would say, the gajikta, the spirit of the age. Don't be held captive by the spirit of the age in terms of what the world is saying about the person of Jesus Christ. Because what they're saying is antithetical to the things that I have taught you in the Word of God. It is opposed to the face of Christ. Don't succumb your mind to the philosophies or the gajikta or the spirit of the age. Stay away from it. But to press on to root yourselves in the faith once and for all delivered to the saints insofar as the person of Christ is concerned. And then you get to chapter 3. Paul now proceeds to tell them about their practical theology, how you live, how you function, how you walk. And so I'm thankful to know of your faith in Christ, he would say. Now I want to write to you about your following him in the practical matters of life and godliness, which brings us to chapter 4. Chapter 4, in which we have a stewardship of prayer, to which I would invite you to turn with me to Colossians chapter 4. Colossians chapter 4, verses 2 and 4, we're going to be looking at that, which is, if you don't have a Bible, if you didn't bring one with you, that's as a hard copy underneath your seat. You'll be looking on page 158, page 158 in the back section of the Bible under the chair in front of you. And by way of introduction, I would hope to unlock four keys to growing in your prayer life, four keys to growing in your prayer life. You know, it makes sense to go ahead and read it, right? It makes sense to go ahead and read it just to get our our feet wet. In verse 2, he says, he says this, he says, devote yourselves to prayer. Again, it's a stewardship. Giving alert in it with an attitude of thanksgiving. Praying at the same time for us as well that God will open a Open up to us a door for the word so that we may speak forth the mystery of Christ for which I have also been imprisoned. So now you know why he's in jail. That I may make it clear in the way I ought to speak. Four keys to growing in your life, in your prayer life. Let's start off with something like this. Devote yourself to prayer. Devote yourself to to prayer. Notice what he says in verse 2. He says, again, devote yourselves to prayer. And then it follows up with, by saying, keeping alert in it with an attitude of thanksgiving. Devote yourself to prayer. Proskar tereo. Those are two words, by the way. Anytime you see in Greek two words that are joined together, it intensifies the meaning of the word itself. In other words, Paul is saying something serious. He's emphasizing a particular point. He's putting an accent on something so that we all can understand and apply It refers to persistence, to hold fast and to not let go. He doesn't have in mind the saying of a prayer here and there willy-nilly. He has in mind for every believer in Jesus Christ to 
perennially be about the Christian spiritual duty of tending to that beautiful hour of prayer. And why would we neglect to go there? Why would we so neglect to go to something that is so needful in the Christian life? Where our Savior awaits and he opens the gates to the beautiful garden of prayer. And I go with my burdens and care. Because it's a key. It's a key part of the Christian life. It's the key part of our Christian life. You know, he places a heavy accent on prayer. And and having, having that emphasis on prayer cannot and should never be overlooked. Because even our prayer, I said to you previously, is a stewardship. But what ends up happening is that when the Lord doesn't respond right away to our prayers, our natural tendency is to lose that accent of prayer in our lives and we become downcast in our souls, (laughs) right? Let's be honest with ourselves. Prayer isn't perennial as it should be. It isn't as perennial as it should be because we want to see the answer to our prayer like sort of like you put food in a microwave. But that's not how it works with God. God isn't a microwave. He doesn't respond to us like some genie. And we're reminded by our Lord not to feel slighted at all in our spirit should our Lord tarry in responding to our communication to him through prayer. In fact, in Luke's gospel, we are taught by our Lord. We're taught that he was telling them a parable to show that at all times that they ought to pray and not lose heart. Don't lose heart, people. Don't lose heart, people of God. Don't lose heart, Christian. And you remember that prayer, right? Maybe? I mean, if you don't, let me just try to offer a summary to you because I just want you to see how a widow oiled the key of prayer through her tears. And the point of the parable is obvious if you were to just go ahead and just to read through it. There's a widow who is incessantly asking for legal protection. She's asking for legal protection. And if you know anything about the ancient Near East, you don't need to be a scholar to understand this, but if you know anything about the ancient Near East, it was a custom that it was the husband who acted as the wife's legal representative for the family. And if you were a widow in those days, you were, you, know, you were in trouble because you had no legal protection because you had no husband to represent you before the judge. Who were typically, by and large, males who could easily be bought, especially if you were a wicked judge with the right amount of money. I mean, you want to talk about a double whammy. Not only did this poor widow have no legal protection, But now she stood before a wicked judge who could perhaps be bought. And the text tells us that she stood before a judge who did not fear God at all. Yet this widow, if you just read through it, she was so persistent. She was so persistent in her cries to the wicked judge, begging, pleading for legal representation. Now, we don't know what happened, we don't, but we do know that she was severely wrong. Something bad had happened, and she was begging, pleading to this wicked judge for help. You know, I'm not, I'm not sure if you remember this, but back in 2014, there was a tribe in the Middle East were targeted and systematically slaughtered by ISIS. Remember that, perhaps? It was an ethnic cleansing. 
They were called the Yazidi people. And the Yazidi people were claimed to be the descendants of, guess who? The ancient Ninevites. You've heard of the Ninevites, right? That powerful nation who was, lev- who was leveled by God. Well, this tribe is now in 2014 just barely alive. And it was an absolute genocide. Thousands of men were slaughtered, as well as young children. The women, young and old, were sold into sex slavery. But the women who escaped were now widows. They were without representation. And what happened was they piled into the Iraqi courts. And you can watch this on YouTube, screaming at the judges, weeping bitterly, saying, help us. My people are dying. My people are dying. Help us. Does that give you perhaps a bit of a window into the ancient Near East regarding this poor widow and this wicked judge? This widow was so persistent that her cries reached the ears of this wicked judge. And he said this, he says, even though I do not fear God, (laughs) nor respect man, yet because this widow bothers me, I will give her legal protection. Otherwise, by her continually coming, she will wear me out. If you want to put that in the common vernacular, she's driving me nuts. (laughs) She's driving me nuts. You know, this... When Jesus gives a story of a parable, it usually gives, it's, it's, a lesson, it's a lesson from the lesser to the greater. The lesser to the greater. It, it, meaning this, if a wicked judge, if a wicked judge can respond to the persistent cries of this widow, will not God bring about justice for his people, for his elect who cry to him day and night and will he delay long over them? You see the powerful point that the author is making? If someone who's wicked can respond to a widow, won't God respond to his people? (laughs) Yeah, of course he's going to respond to the perennial cries of his people, to the perennial cries of his elect. And Luke wrote that in the way that he did so that the answer doesn't escape the eyes of God's people, meaning you and even people back then who have ears to hear. And so we need to be a people being about that great work of prayer because we know that the effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish what? Much. Much. It's perennial. Pray without ceasing. Let your prayer, your stewardship before God be perennial day and night without ceasing. I like this quote from John MacArthur. He said, he said it's fitting that Paul begins with prayer because it is the most important speech the new man can utter. Prayer is the strength of the believer's fellowship with the Lord and the source of his power against Satan and his angels. Through prayer, believers confess their sin Offer praise to God, call on their sympathetic high priest, and intercede for each other. Prayer from a pure heart is to be directed to God, consistent with the mind and will of the Holy Spirit, in the name of Christ and for the glory of 
the Father. Prayer is a stewardship. Here's a stewardship. We pray to our God. We pray because it expresses a dependence on the Lord and aligns us to his will. Prayer is perennial. Note what he says in Colossians chapter 1, 9 through 12. Note this. He says, for this reason also, since the day we heard of it, we have not, notice that, ceased to pray for you. And to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So you will walk in a, in a manner worthy of the Lord to please him in all respects. Bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Giving thanks. Strengthening with all power according to his glorious might for the attaining of all steadfastness and patience, joyously giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us. You see that? He's qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints of light. He's qualified you for prayer. He's qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints of light. You know, are, are these some of the things that you're praying for now? I mean, are you, for instance... Let's take what he said and let's just break it down. Are you praying that you would understand God's will for your life? Is that a perennial aspect of your life? Where you're walking, where you're going? Are you praying that you would live and please the Lord? Are we praying that we would bear fruit in every good work? Are we praying that we would grow spiritually? Are we praying that we would learn patience and long-suffering, especially with one another? Are we praying that we would have gratitude to God for the salvation to which he's given to us, to the inheritance to which he's given to us, to a church to which he's given to us, to each one of us praying? Are we praying on behalf of one another? You know, prayer is a stewardship. (laughs) It unites us to the body of Christ. Remember what happened in the book of Acts and during the church's infancy? It says in Acts chapter 1, it says, These all had, were with one mind, were continually devoting themselves to what? To prayer. Continually, continually devoting themselves to prayer. In Romans chapter 12, Paul says, Be devoted to one another. How can we do that without prayer? Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor. Not lagging behind in diligence. Fervent in spirit. Serving the Lord. Rejoicing in hope. Persevering in tribulation. Then it says this. Devoted to what? Devoted to prayer. Contributing to the needs of the saints. Practicing hospitality. All those things. All those things. We ought to pray for. Pray that we are active doers of the word of God. And not hearers only. You know, for all the commentary on, on prayer and scriptures, you would think that we would take our stewardship so seriously in this area, so ferociously for how often prayer is mentioned, yet we neglect it so. Perhaps because we're lazy, and we don't want to assign ourselves to even a sweet hour of prayer. Sounds like a hymn, right? An old hymn. Sweet hour of prayer where God, my Savior, shows his face. And gladly takes my station there and wait for the sweet hour of prayer. Milton Vincent, one author, he said that God is radically, I mean radically committed 
to my life of prayer. He shed the blood of his son so that I might be cleansed and rendered fit to stand before him in love. He also permitted the brutal rendering of his son so that I might now have a way into the holy place. The holy place through the torn flesh of Jesus. Draw near, he says in Hebrews 4. Draw near, he says in Hebrews 10. Pray without ceasing, he urges elsewhere. How can I not feel the infinite sincerity of these invitations, especially when considering the painful lengths that God endured so that I might enter his presence in prayer? Indeed, the gospel itself serves as the sweetest of invitations to pray. And preaching it to myself each day nurtures within me a mighty impulse to come before God in love and, to, and do the praying that I was elected to do. You were elected to prayer. And in that being elected to prayer, he, was, he has given to us a stewardship. A stewardship. And Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he takes some disciples with him and he says... He says to them to be alert. Remember that? He says to them to be alert when you pray. Be alert. Be alert to the needs of the moment. He talks about that. Again, he's in the garden. He takes them to some disciples with them. He says in verse 38, he says, My soul is deeply grieved. It's on the eve of. of of his crucifixion. My soul is deeply grieved to the point of death. And he asks his disciples to remain here and keep watch with me. Can you remain here and and pray with me? Can you pray with me, disciples? Can you pray with me, God's people? In Hebrews chapter 5, verse 7, he we understand that he, we understand through the writer of the Hebrews, he says, he tells us that Christ offered up both prayers in the Garden of Gethsemane, prayers and supplications with loud crying and tears to the one able to save him from death. And it says this, and he was heard because of his reverence. But then the Garden of Gethsemane, his disciples, they weren't praying. <laughs> they weren't praying. What were they doing? They were sleeping. His disciples, God's people, they didn't want to put an accent on their prayers. As we are when it comes to our stewardship, we don't put a heavy accent on our prayers. And so, because they didn't put an accent on their prayers, what happens next? What happens next? Well, we, our Lord finds them again. He, find, he finds them out like a light. He sees him. He came to the disciples. He finds him sleeping, and he said to Peter, so you men couldn't keep watch with me for one hour. Keep watching and praying that you may not enter into testing, temptation. The spirit is willing. Oh, but the flesh is weak. I just asked you for one hour, and you couldn't pray with me one hour? You couldn't put an accent on your prayer? On your prayers? We couldn't pray for such and such here at Faith because we're too busy playing video games or watching football or whatever it is in our life. We we can't put an accent on praying for somebody in an hour of prayer or whatever it may be. 
you know, the point is not that it's, it's wrong to sleep, but that we lack the discipline to pray. We lack the accent to pray, the emphasis to pray. Do you remember what happened after this? What happened? What happened after Jesus went, confronted his disciples, look, guys, I've asked you to pray for an hour. Could you not pray with me for one hour? What happened? Right on the heels after that, what happened? Then all the disciples left him, and they fled. Right on the heels, he warned them, I need you to pray. I need you to pray. Keep watch. Temptation was crouching at the door, and they weren't alert. They weren't alert because they weren't devoted to prayer. They weren't able to stand, but they fled. They ran away. They succumbed to temptation because we so often don't put an accent on our prayers. My, how often do we run away from our stewardship? Do we run away from everything else? And how often do we stumble because we lack the discipline to pray to our God? How often do we sin because we lack the conviction to pray? When our Lord said to his disciples, he says to us, could we not be devoted to pray to our God? Could we not pray for one hour? How about we make this our New Year's resolution? Maybe, perhaps, 2024? Can, we, can each household set a time out of their day to be devoted to pray every day, to, to develop our spiritual muscles to pray every day? You know, Thomas Watson said that prayer sanctifies your mercies. It weeds our sin and waters grace. <laughs> Should we not be alert to what honors God? In Ephesians 6 says, Ephesians 6 says, you know, with all prayers and petition, praying at all times in the spirit and with this in view, be on alert with all perseverance and petitions for all the saints. And pray on my behalf that utterance may be given to me in the opening of my mouth to make known with boldness the mysteries of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Then in proclaiming it, I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. Have you considered that perhaps one of the reasons for our lack of boldness in evangelizing the lost is connected to our loss or because we don't put an accident on our prayers? Thought about that? Isn't that why Paul is asking for prayer that he may speak boldly for the cause of Christ? Shouldn't we pray perennially? The stewardship, right? I mean, are we, are we in agreement with that? Because if we are, don't you think we ought to be thankful we are called to pray to God in the first place and to cultivate an attitude of thankfulness? You know, Thomas Watson said that, said that the tree of the promise will not drop its fruit unless shaken by the hand of prayer. Prayer without fervency is no prayer. Lifeless prayer is no more prayer than the picture of a man is a man. End quote. <laughs> We're still stuck in verse 2. Devote yourself to prayer. You know, we can be stuck here, and we can see it, 
but do we live by it? Is it perennial? Devote yourself to prayer, keeping alert in it with an attitude of thanksgiving. Thankfulness should permeate our walk. It should permeate our walk with the Lord. You know, Psalm 107 was, was, was a written prayer. The Psalms are written prayers. Yes, but also with a view towards Israel receiving their answer to prayer, particularly Psalm 107. They're praying to God because God had delivered them from the hand of their enemies. And their hearts permeated with thanks, the outpouring of which was a psalm written in thanksgiving to their God. And what does the psalmist say? Oh, give thanks to the Lord, the Lord, for he is good, for his loving kindness is everlasting. We can be thankful to God for answered prayer because he is demonstrating his loving kindness toward us. And by the way, when the Lord doesn't answer our prayers, you can bet your gumdrop buttons that he has a sovereign reason for why he saw fit to not answer whatever prayer request we send to him. You can bet your gumdrop buttons, right? <laughs> and perhaps one of the primary reasons is because we ask amiss, right? I mean, that's what it says in James 4, we ask amiss, meaning that we ask with wrong motives. Our motives are wrong in asking for certain things so that we may spend it on our what? On our own selfishness, feeding our own idols, feeding our own gods, We spend it on our pleasures. And God knows our hearts better than we do. He knows our hearts better than we do. And may God's will be done, not ours, right? Look, I mean, our stewardship to our God is thankfulness to Christ's work. It's thankfulness for Christ's work. In Colossians chapter 3, again, Do I need to remind you to devote yourself to prayer? Does Paul need to remind you to devote yourselves to prayer? Keeping alert. In verse 17, whatever you do in word or in deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving what? Thanks. Giving thanks. You know, Thanksgiving is just around the corner. I love Thanksgiving. I absolutely love Thanksgiving. I love the time of year, the seasons of plenty, right? But to have family over, friends, we have a chance to invite some, some uh, of, of you to our place. I mean, I wish I had a house big enough to invite all of you, you know? I'd be making a ton of turkeys, right? I'd be hooking you all up, making sure you fall asleep on the couch, you know? That's <laughs> what turkey does. Just to give thanks in seasons of plenty, but also in seasons of little. Because I recognize that everyone here has different walks of life, and I recognize that we, this may be a season of little for you. And, and even in seasons of little, we, could be thanks. We, can, we can give thanks to our God. We can give thanks to our God. We can give thanks for Christ's work. For whatever that we do in word or in deed, we all should give thanks to him. Because it's his will. Spurgeon said this. I think I have it here. Prayer is the natural outgushing of a soul in communion with Christ, right? In communion with Jesus. And so I believe that we should pay particular focus regularly on gospel opportunities, but again, through prayer. Understanding that we need God to open doors. We need God to open doors. You know, Paul understood this, perhaps better than anyone. Paul understood that 
there was no room for boasting in our human achievements. Every opportunity given to us through prayer is a stewardship of devotion to our God. That's why it says pray at the same time, praying at the same time for us as well that God would what? Would open a door to us for the word of God, for the word so that we may speak forth the mystery of Christ for which I have also been imprisoned. I mean, you remember what happened in Macedonia, right? Remember the, the Macedonian call in, in the book of Acts chapter 16? God sovereignly directed where Paul was going, and he did it through prayer. Paul wanted to speak to Gentiles, and so he didn't know where to go. He, well, actually, he did know where to go. He says, I'm going to go speak to the, gen, to, to the Gentiles in Macedonia. I'm going to go to, I'm go to Bithynia, and the Lord said, nope. Remember that? He closed the door. He said the Holy Spirit wouldn't allow him to go to that section. And so you know, Paul was frustrated. He goes, okay, we're going we're gonna to go to Asia Minor. And it says that the Holy Spirit wouldn't permit him. <laughs> That's what it says. And so, you know, Paul's frustrated. We've been, we've been east, we've been, we've been north, we've been east, and all of a sudden we have the Macedonian call to the west. And listen to me, I get this in application. Had the Lord not opened the door to the west, it would have been the east evangelizing us. Do you see that? It would have been the east opening, the east evangelizing to the United States of America. For whatever reason, the Lord didn't see fit to send Paul to Bithynia or to Asia Minor. He sent him to the west to the Gentiles. In Acts chapter 14, verse 27. When they had arrived and gathered the church together, they began to report all all the things that God had done with them and how he had what? Opened the door of faith to who? To the Gentiles. How did he do that? Prayer. Just as God is sovereign over the salvation of souls, he is sovereign in directing us to wherever it is that we go through what? Prayer. For instance, we know, we know that God's plan is for us to be actively engaged in the spread of the gospel. Last verse. This is, this is Paul's desire. This is Paul's desire that I, make, that I make it clear in the way I ought to speak. We pray. We pray the way that Paul did, really. We pray to our God that, we, that he would help us to speak in the way that we ought to speak well, what do I say in closing? I think we've, we've, we've pretty much beat it into your head that stewardship is a prayer, right? I think we beat it into your head. May we never neglect that sweet hour of prayer, right? Ever. May it be perennial, individually, privately, working hard to make that time for prayer. I'll close with this. Do you always remember, beloved, in coming to the mercy seat, Charles Spurgeon said, that you're coming to a king and to one who gives like a king? Do you always open your mouth wide and ask great things of the king who was so ready to bestow them upon you? I have heard prayers that have seemed to me like dictating to God rather than the humble reverent petitions which should be presented by the creature to the creator or by the children of God to their loving father in heaven. We are to come boldly unto the throne of grace, yet always with submission in our hearts. Think not that God will be angry with thee for asking too much from him, and imagine not thou wilt insult him by asking him for little things. 
If you are a believer in Jesus, God is your father, so speak to him as you would to thine earthly father. Only have far more confidence in coming to him than you would have in approaching the most affectionate earthly parent. (laughs) Have far more confidence, far more confidence in coming to him than you would in approaching the most affectionate earthly parent. Father in heaven, thank you, Lord, for this time, and thank you, Lord, that we can pray to you even right now in this sweet garden of prayer. Lord, if anyone here is not a believer in Jesus Christ, please answer our prayers, Lord. We pray for that individual or person or family. May you open up their hearts like you did to Lydia in the book of Acts to receive the words of your gospel. May they repent of their sins, and may they follow you all the days of their life, and may they be men and women and family, perennially in prayer, because we understand that it is a great and sweet stewardship. Thank you, Lord, for giving us the stewardship. May we walk in it daily. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.